Good morning, everyone. I don't think I've ever stood here in this school. I was in the cinema, I think, last time, and I was telling people that, um, you know, you get out of practice. We do speak in Bible school and Ghoul and Driffield, but sometimes you get out of practice and get a bit nervous. So I want you to smile at me <laughs> and show me that you're on my side. <laughs> and <laughs> Don't overdo it, you're taking my time now. <laughs> but this morning, I want you to indulge me because I want to look back and remember. It's a good job Jared isn't here because he would be rolling his eyes now. But when you reach my age, there is more to look back on than to look forward on. And I know it says in Isaiah 43:18, it says, remember not the former things. But that is talking about things like, don't look back on past mistakes and past sins. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took them all away. They're washed away completely. And no matter how glorious your past was, don't look back on that. Because even at my age, I believe that there are greater things to come. So we're not looking back for those things. We're remembering for a different reason. It says in Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 32 verse 7, remember how God led you. And you know, we remember how God led us to give us faith and hope and direction for the future. Anybody? That song that we've just sang is a new one to me. And it says on one of the bottom lines, you have never failed me yet. And we look back so that we can say, God did that then, he will do it again. Then again, it says in Psalm 105 verse five, remember his marvelous works. And you know, again, we do this to build up our faith. Why do we keep having testimonies from people like Sandra and Lynn? And we talk about Jane in the past and, and we have uh, um, x-rays put on our screen before and after when God has healed them. We remember his marvelous works. Why? To increase our faith. Psalm 25 verse six, remember his mercies. God is merciful to you and me this morning. He is a forgiving God. No matter what you did last week, let me tell you, God loves you. God is willing to forgive you. God, it, God's grace is there for every single one of us. It also says, John 15, 20, remember the words I spoke to you. And some of us need to remember the words of God spoken over our lives. Even though it may be years ago, God is a strange God in that time is nothing to him. Remember the words God said to you. And also remember this word, the Bible, because this is the truth. And the Bible says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You know, we forget this word at our peril. In this is our healing. In this is our deliverance. In this is our joy. In this is our peace. In this is our eternity. We forget his word at our peril. And then it says in 2 Timothy 2, 8, 
remember Jesus was raised from the dead. Oh my, this is our glorious hope. You know, every November, we remember the men and women down through the years who died to give us our freedom. And we thank God for them and the sacrifice they made. But do you know why we thank God more for Jesus? Because he raised from the dead. And in being resurrected, he gives every one of us hope that we have an eternity with him. He conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered the grave, he conquered sickness, he conquered every curse. So can you see why I want to remember? It's a good thing to remember. But what triggered this off in my heart to remember? Well, it was Brother Un, and I may say his name wrong, apologies. Brother Un, he was the Chinese pastor who came a few weeks ago, and he began to tell us about the Christian life in China and how he was persecuted and imprisoned and that Christians to this day are being martyred for their faith. At one point, he was telling us how he'd been working so hard and God said to him, I'm going to give you a holiday. And I nudged Lamia, who was sat next to me, and said to her, there, I told you holidays are godly. And <laughs> always trying to vindicate myself. Now I'm retired, I go away so much. And she whispered to me, you went to prison. <laughs> and that triggered off, listening to Brother Un triggered off something in my heart. But before I go any further, I just want to give you a little snapshot of history of what I became a Christian into. I'm not going to give dates, figures, names, nothing, just the atmosphere. Back at the beginning of the last century, all across the world in different places, Great Britain, America, different places, God began again to pour out his Holy Spirit on believers, as in Joel 2:28, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And God began to do this to some of his believers. But you know, unfortunately, it wasn't universally accepted. And often when God moves, who knows, it isn't universally accepted. And the Christians that received the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and other signs and wonders, the traditional church rejected them. The Anglicans, the Methodists, the Baptists, they rejected us. And they told us either you remain silent about what has happened to you or you're out of the church. And because of this, the Pentecostal churches were born. Now, you may not know this, but you belong to a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church born right at the beginning of the last century. And you know, we were viewed as something, perhaps this is the wrong word, as a cult because of what had happened in our lives. And this wasn't a small thing. This lasted almost till three quarters of the way through the last century. And you know, if the response of the traditional churches was wrong, I'd better tell you this now. The traditional churches by and large completely and utterly accepts, accepts us now. Do you know why? because in every denomination, there are those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, charismatic Christians. So now there is a level of acceptance, but there wasn't then. But if their response was wrong to reject us and criticize us, our response was wrong too, because we came along with a massive chip 
on our shoulder and we began in some part to believe only we were truly Christians. They were nominal. And it was into this atmosphere of persecution that in 1958, aged 14 years, I became a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus. And because of the atmosphere into which I was born again into, it was a time of great passion. It was a time when we talked of being constantly talked of being on fire for Jesus. Every part of our lives was surrendered to God. And I mean every part, the way we dressed, where we went, our leisure time, everything was dictated by our surrender to Jesus Christ. We had an uncompromising belief in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we were under persecution. Who knows persecution breeds passion? And who knows comfort and ease and respectability breed apathy? And you know, Brother Yun reminded me of these things. As he talked, I began, I was reminded of these things. And also that as a young girl, I love stories of the persecution of the Chinese Christians and of the missionaries who went to them, how God delivered them, but not always. Many died for their faith. The authorities tried to starve them to death, but the more persecution they had, the stronger the church became. And then do you remember during the communist years behind the Iron Curtain, the persecution of the Christians in Russia Great persecution. And as Brother Yun is talking about these things, I hear a question in my head from God. And he says this, how long, Marion, since you asked yourself, would I die for Jesus? Would I die for Jesus? And I'm asking you, would you die for Jesus? You know, it isn't such a far-fetched thing when Brother Yun was here, two of his colleagues that in that 24 hours before died in Pakistan for their faith. There are Christians all around the world being persecuted and martyred for their faith. It isn't a far-fetched thing. Here in democratic Great Britain, we think it's that far-fetched. But you know, in my youth, we regularly would ask ourselves, would we die for Jesus? The communists were spreading across Europe. They reached Germany. And we would ask ourselves, would I die for Jesus? And this wasn't in a just a few years. I'd become a young mother. And I had to ask myself this question. Would I give up my children for my faith? Because apparently that's what happened in Russia. When men and women there became Christians, their children would be taken away and, and raised by the state. Tough, tough questions. And I had to say to God, God, it has been a very long time since I felt challenged to say, how much do I love Jesus? And you know, if I'm, asking, if I'm challenging you with hard questions, it's because God challenged me. And I want to ask you, how much do you love Jesus? Would you die for him? Would you give up your children for your faith? Now to you young mums, I have to tell you, I never could answer that last question. Would I die for my faith? I hoped I would. But then as I was thinking on these things, God took me to Revelation 
And it says in Revelation 2 that God is speaking to a church like us, a church in Ephesus. And he says to the church, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. They sound a great church, don't they? A great church. But then this is what God says to them. You have forsaken your first love. Listen, service is one way of expressing our love for God. But we can serve without love. Who knows that? Service is not our expression of love. It can be one of them, but there needs to be more. And then the scripture goes on to say, and here's my word again, remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember, remember who you were. And this is why this morning I want to remember, who was I and who was the church of Jesus Christ then? Now listen, let me deal with this straight away. I don't look at the past through rosy colored spectacles. I don't look at the church of the past through rosy colored spectacles. Let me put on record now, I am overjoyed to be alive in this generation for the spiritual atmosphere, for the great expectation and the great hope that we have. For all the things I'm going to tell you, we were quite legalistic. We added quite a few laws onto what Jesus told us to do. And you know, our, our worship today, do you know, we are, I hope you appreciate our worship. Whoever, whoever is leading, we have phenomenal worship in, in this church. In our generation, it was nothing like that. We understand the grace of God more. That if I sin, that's okay. Put it right. He still loves me. We understand his love and his mercy more. So I'm not looking back with rosy colored spectacles. I am glad to be alive today. And God, may there be a revival in our nation while I'm still alive and able to enjoy it. So I'm not looking back, wanting to go back, no. But have you heard the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? You know, when you've bathed the baby, you don't need the bathwater anymore. It was good, it served its purpose, it did its job, but now you can throw it away. But be careful to lift the baby out before you throw the bathwater out. Why? Because the baby is precious. And I want to see today if there is anything precious that we can take from our Christian heritage, because it is your Christian heritage. If there is anything that we can take and move into the future with all our other strengths and be even stronger than we are today. And the first thing I want to say is that we were courageous and dedicated. We were deeply committed not only to God, but to his church, the church of Jesus Christ. And the outworking of this was that we had several meetings midweek, which we nearly all went to. And then on a Sunday, we had at least three meetings. And you know, let me put my hand up here. I struggle today with two on a Sunday. Anybody? I'm there on a Sunday evening and I'm saying to myself, come on, come on, 
get to the meeting, either Cottingham tonight, it's breath. I have to stir up my heart to go, let me tell you, back then it never seemed arduous or tiring. We wanted to be together. We were under persecution where we, we were each other's strength in that time. And you know what else? We were frightened of missing something. How long since you said, I've got to go, I might miss something. Something great might happen and I'm not there. Just let me tell you what God said about my Sunday evenings, which I don't think is fair, but you can weigh this. It is easy for me at my age, not for all of you, but I can say to God now, God, I'm in my 70s. What do you want of me? I went this morning and then I distinctly heard God say, Marion, you know that scripture that you quote when you want to drive for a month around Australia? As are your days, so shall your strength be. I just want to remind you that that is available at five o'clock on a Sunday evening. Yes, give God a clap. And so we were dedicated. And as I've told you, if I'm challenging you, it's because God challenged me and the beauty of having a mic is, you can put it back on the congregation. We stood in open airs, not occasionally, regularly. We stood in our own estates, our own cities, our own villages, and we sang and we talked about Jesus. We knocked on doors, believing ardently that the Great Commission applied to us, and not just to us, but to me. You know where it says in Matthew 28, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. We took it on ourselves, knowing it was our God-given duty and responsibility. And if we didn't tell the lost about Jesus, we would be held responsible. There was a responsibility on our shoulders. And then we believed in the second coming of Jesus. If I said to you, who believes in the second coming of Jesus? Let me test it. Who believes? But listen, we lived, we lived with the knowledge that he could come at any moment. If you thought that Jesus could come by the end of this service or by the end this, of this evening, how would you live? Would you tell your unsaved relatives about Jesus? Would you put that sin right? Would you say to God, give me the strength to deal with that habit and that apathy? We lived in a way that believed, as it says in Acts 1.11, that when Jesus ascended, the angels said, why are you looking up there? He's coming back again. And we lived with that understanding. Now, I don't want to be rude about educated people, but now, some clever theo the I can't even say it. Theologian, some clever theologian has decided that a few things have to happen before Jesus comes back again. And you know we have lost that urgency. We have lost that understanding, especially as young people, we used to be told, Jesus could come back again, live right, live pure, live righteously. Be on fire for God. Be filled with the Spirit. But let me read what Scripture says. It says in Matthew 24, 36, 
No one knows the day and hour, not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father knows when he will come back again. And you know, I believe God has a way of saying, oh, so you think you know when Jesus is coming back again. I want to live in a way that says, not just, oh yes, I believe, but yes, I believe. I will live in a way that is ready for Jesus. And so I ask myself, as Brother Yun is speaking, all these, I have a deep spiritual nostalgia and all these feelings come flooding back to me of who we were and who I was. And you know, looking at myself today, yes, please God, I hope I have more wisdom. If not now, when? I hope I deal with things in a mature, more mature way than I used to do. And I'm still... To, a, to an extent, passionate about the things of God. But you know, God knows my heart, so there's no reason I shouldn't tell you. I have less fervor for the things of God than I did have. And I have less courage. You know, I want to be comfortable and I want to be respectable. You know, at one time, if people thought in, in my workplace, my neighbours, if people thought I was an oddball and I got a bit of persecution, I wore it as a badge of honour. It didn't bother me. Now I want to be the nice woman down the road. I want to be a anybody. And you know, I have become comfortable and respectable. And I want to ask us, how did we lose that passion? How did we lose it? And I want to start off by reading Revelation, uh, not Revelation, Hebrews. Just, time runs faster here than anywhere in the whole world. <laughs> if I stand here much longer, I'll be 102. It's just going <laughs> so fast. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, everything that hinders, and the sin. Now that shows that not everything is sin that hinders you, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. This is an important one. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Now another version of the Bible will say, remember him. Remember, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you know what? We grow weary and lose heart. And I'm going to have to race through these, but I want to do this first one, certainly. One of the things that will take our first love and our passion is disillusionment, discouragement, deferred hope, difficulties, problems. Anybody? If these pile into our lives, they can take our passion and our first love. And I'm not one to sweep anything under the carpet. And you know, as a revived church in this last year, we've had heartache. Isn't that right? Even though we're a church that believes that God heals, we have lost about six or seven of our people, even though we prayed for them. And you know, this has been a massive heartache to, to so many of us, and especially to those who it was their loved one, their really close one. And I wrote a blog on this as well, where I said something like, 
even though they were not healed, as we think of healing in this life, I still believe God heals. And what I plan to do is I, keep, I plan to keep praying for the sick. Because you know what the enemy wants us to do? He wants us to become so discouraged that we stop praying. And we have to be determined and say, no, they went to be with him. And I wanna mention that they went to be with them, every one of them, without exception, are with Jesus. But we intend with all our hearts to keep praying for the sick. And then if you remember, Dan McCullum came on Resonate Weekend. And on the Friday evening, he said a similar thing. They're a church that sees massive healings. And in fact, they see people raised from the dead. I think they have a resurrection group that if someone dies, they go in and pray. And they see people being raised from the dead. But he admitted not everyone is healed. And you know, this gave me comfort because as human beings, we're very quick to say, why not? Are we getting something wrong? But you know, when Dan said this, I thought, do you know what? The, the, the most spiritual thing you and I can say about some things is, we don't know. We don't understand. But, and Dan said these words, don't limit God by your experience. And we don't need to let the enemy get this out of perspective for us so that we lose our faith, we lose our passion, we lose our first love. And I want to, I want to just leave that a little bit behind now, but say to you, in our problems, make sure that the enemy doesn't get it out of perspective. Make sure, because this is what the enemy does. He turns our molehills into a mountain. He did this for me this winter. We had a bit of a problem. We're, obviously, we're Christians, we're praying, God gives us promises, we're declaring. But for me, it becomes incredibly distressing. Sleepless nights, crying. You, you know, really, I'm really upset. And you know when in the corner of your heart, you know this is the enemy. He's getting this out of perspective. Takes a few weeks before I decide, right, that's it, enough. I'm taking every thought captive. I will not let this go on. So I begin to take every thought captive, but that's a bit tiring in the middle of the night all the time. And then Jared spoke one Sunday morning. We may have been over in Winifred Holtby, I can't remember, but I think he spoke at one point on David and Goliath. And he said, for some of you, it's time you killed your Goliath. It's time you said, enough. And I stood up wherever I was in the hall and I said, that's for me, enough. I know we have a problem, but it's, it's a molehill compared to what Satan is making of it. And I declared enough. And you know, sometimes, as I said, God doesn't rush with his answers to prayer always. But within weeks, that problem was turned around. We need to be so careful not to let the enemy get things out of perspective so that we lose our passion and our first love. But do you know what? I continue to pray and declare and praise God for that situation. Do you know why? You know when David killed Goliath, the stone plunged into his forehead. It was pretty certain he was dead. But then he took his sword and he chopped his head off. Why? To make darn sure he didn't get up again. And you know, 
It's too easy for us when we see an answer to prayer with our health, with our finances. Anybody relate to this? We think we've seen an answer to prayer. We back off the prayer and the declaring and the giant gets up again and pushes his nose into our lives. Keep praying, keep declaring, keep praising until that problem goes away. Listen, guys, I've got to rush on. I wanted to talk about busyness, etc., to get a balance in your life. Whether you're in ministry, and I speak to young ministers here, I am proud that David and I made it to retirement in the ministry. So many don't. And I'll give you a key. By all means, work hard. We must work hard for the kingdom. But take time out. Take time out to smell the coffee, to smell the roses, and to look into the face of Jesus. And if you're not in full-time ministry, that brings other pressures because you're volunteering but still have a full-time job and children and a mortgage and you take time out. Get balance. We mustn't be lazy. The Bible says that the man that doesn't work shouldn't eat. We need to work, but we need to get that balance. The greatest wisdom is to have balance in your life, whether you're in ministry or not. But... How do we retain, how do we reignite this first love? And I want to turn to the early church because they are something of a role model for us. And this is just after Jesus has died and been taken up into heaven. And the disciples who are now the apostles are building a church, the early church. And you know, they are growing by thousands every day. They are seeing tremendous things. So they're something of a role model to us, aren't they? Would you agree with me? But one day, Peter and John were talking to the rulers and the elders of the people. And it says this, it says they were astonished at their words. But then it goes on to say something even more pertinent for you and me. Acts 4 verse 13, they took note they had been with Jesus. Who do people take note that you and I have been with? It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all beholding the Lord are being transformed into the same image by the Spirit of the Lord. As we behold the Lord, that's not just a glance, that's not just a quick, as we, be, as we stare intently, as we hold his gaze, we are transformed into the image of Jesus. It says in John 12, 21, and this is Greek people at the temple, they say, we want to see Jesus. The world wants to see Jesus. Who are we reflecting? What are we putting our priority? What are we putting our concentration on and reflecting in our lives? Because that will keep our passion, but it's also we will be reflecting Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse two, and I mentioned this earlier. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And there were one or two things that I felt I should pull out even more here. And this is one of them. Whatever you have gone through, whatever you are going through, this is God's word for you today. Fix your eyes on him. He is your deliverer. He will not fail you. I've walked with God. Next year, it will be 60 years. He has never failed me. 
I have proved is goodness. He is a good, and listen, he doesn't give you a miserable life. You know, this is the other thing. What are we reflecting? We need to be reflecting Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 2, you are our letter read by all men. People in the world don't see God. They see you and me. What are they seeing? A letter from Christ written on human hearts by the, by the Spirit. What are they seeing in us? Do they see love? Do they see joy? Do they see peace? Or do they see a people baptized in lemon juice? Do they see a legalistic people, a miserable people, a people who lead a small life? You know, I want when people see me that they want my life. In Acts 3 verse 6, again, Peter and John are going to the temple and there is a beggar by the side there and he looks to them for money, he's begging. And they say to him, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you. In the name of Jesus, walk. What do we have? What do we have? We have Jesus. That's all we have. We have Jesus and we need to be reflecting him for our own passion, but also so that we can touch the world. You know, some of us are dealing with a situation at the moment and I'm talk, I was talking to a couple of them recently and I'm having to say, listen, we are not, because we're feeling a little bit impotent, we are not psychiatrists, we are not doctors, we are not trained counsellors, we can't be there 24-7, all we have is Jesus. But wow, how powerful it is to have Jesus in all his fullness in our lives. And you know, I believe that we will only know in eternity the lives that we have touched because we carry Jesus. We are glory carriers. Who do you carry? Hull City? EastEnders? Who are you carrying? You, let's be Jesus carriers so that when people look at us, they see Jesus. Just back last year, we were in Spain near Gibraltar and we'd met up with some Gibraltarians for lunch and we're outside this coffee shop on the beach and um, having coffee. And a, a Spanish woman comes up to us who used to be in the church 30 years, more than 30 years, 40 years before in Gibraltar. And you know, it's all hugs and kisses and, and oh, reminiscing, etc. And then she's called Maria. And she says to me, Marion, I don't think I've ever told you this. But she said, you are part of how I came to Jesus. And I, I wasn't surprised because we were the leaders of the church at the time. <laughs> but she said to me, I used to see you on Main Street. And Gibraltar is very small. It's like Beverly. So if you're on Main Street, you can't help but see each other. You might not speak, but you see each other. And she says over and over and over again, and I guess that's God, she would see me on Main Street. And these are her words, otherwise I wouldn't be saying it. She said to me, she said, and I thought to myself, why does this woman attract me? She's not very pretty. <laughs> she wears the same Marks and Spencer's clothes. And then she said, about a year later, someone invited me to the church. And I, she said, I walked in, and the first person I see is you, and I know what you have, and I want it. 
Now, I'm not saying that to my glory because I was on Main Street getting a cup of coffee, going shopping. It's not that I was trying to be clever or spiritual or holy or make an impression. But you know, when we are with Jesus, when we take time out with Jesus, when we come here and concentrate on Jesus, we become more like him. We become Jesus carriers. It's inevitable. It's, we don't have to struggle to do it. Maggie was telling us about Mo, who has a church in the old Bridlington Avenue building. He was in McDonald's, wasn't he, Maggie, with Jonathan, his son. And a man began to talk to him. And uh, Mo ended up leading him to the Lord. And then Mo said to him, why did you talk to me? Because we English aren't given to doing that, are we? And he said, I don't know. There was something about you. There's something about you. If you have Jesus in your life, there's something about you. When we spend time with Jesus, not only do we keep our passion, we carry his glory and we touch the world. I've got to finish because time is gone and I'm missing out loads of stuff. But you know, there is a song that we sing. Thank you, Mark, if you. There is a song that we sing. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. Do you know, when we sing it, I want to climb. If I thought I could stay up there, I'd do it now. I want to climb on the seat because it is a declaration of our belief in Jesus Christ. We are Christians. God is alive and well. God is still powerful. God wants to save you. God wants to heal you. God wants to give you eternal life. And God wants to give you a good, good life now. And you know, there's a verse in this chorus and it says, let the church live loud. And you know, I want to challenge us, revive. I nearly said new life. I want to challenge us, revive, that we stop being a Christian in a corner. And we let the world know, I believe in Jesus. He has forgiven me my sins. He has healed me. He has been my guide and my fortress. Today, He is my strength and my health. Live loud. Live loud before your unsaved relatives, before your workmates. And I've got to stop. But listen, as a response, I want to ask you, I believe that moving is a good thing to do. And I want to ask you, as we sing this, will you with me, and I'm going to move, will you move to the aisles and the front and let us as a people declare this, we believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son.